Welcome to MoFo Perspectives, a podcast by Morrison and Forrester, where we share the perspectives of our clients, colleagues, subject matter experts, and lawyers. Hello, my name is David Lynn, and I'm a partner at Morrison and Forster, where I serve as co-chair of the firm's corporate finance capital markets practice. And I'm pleased to be joined by my colleague, Fredo Silva, who's a Morrison and Forster partner based in San Francisco, and he serves as co-chair of the firm's social enterprise and impact investing practice. Today, we're going to discuss developments with ESG disclosures for public companies, which is a topic that is very much in the spotlight. I think there are two key perspectives to consider here, where we are today and where we are going. And Fredo, to get us started, could you tell us about the approach that public companies are taking today on ESG disclosure? Sure. So with ESG, that's environmental, social, and governance is what we're talking about. And it's easiest, I think, to talk about where we are now by going in reverse order. So thinking about governance, usually we interpret that to mean corporate governance, or at least that's how public companies are interpreting it. And they're doing a pretty good job of disclosing corporate governance because they've already been doing that for many, many years, even before ESG was a topic. So basically, that's all covered in your proxy statement and well addressed by the SEC's Regulation SK and disclosure rules and guidance. And so I don't think there's any need to spend a lot of time on the governance side of things because people already know how to do that. The S, I think, is the next one that becomes a little bit interesting. That's the social element. In general, public companies are addressing the social element to a certain degree based off of existing requirements that have been put in place in recent years around human capital disclosure. Essentially, you're required now in your Form 10K to disclose objectives and measures that address the development, attraction, and retention of employees. And so because of that, you see in your 10K disclosure around proportions of male to female employees, topics around diversity and inclusion, topics around COVID, talent development, maybe the great resignation, addressing workplace safety, culture initiatives, employee mental health, all kinds of issues that touch on employees. The social element doesn't just mean employees, of course. You also see discussion around the board, for example, board diversity, particularly with new rules in California mandating boards have a diversity of gender as well as underrepresented community representation in addition to having NASDAQ now requiring companies by August of this year to include uh, disclosure around board diversity, not formal requirements the same way that California law requires, but more of a disclose and be shamed if you don't have diversity sort of framework. But social can go beyond that. It can also be about how your products benefit society, how you interact with your customers, basically, you know, the stakeholders other than shareholders and how they're impacted by your company. But for the most part, as far as SEC mandates, those other social elements aren't actually part of the required disclosure regime, just the employees and board diversity now under the NASDAQ disclosure requirements. The E, I think, is probably the most, at least up until now, and you'll get to that, Dave, is the most vague and where there's the least amount of rules. You know, for environmental, essentially, in the past, we've had disclosure on environmental issues in Form 10K related to regulatory requirements, environmental regulatory, if your company is impacted by that or has environmental impacts that are material. There's also been risk factor disclosure that you have to make if environmental risks are going to be material to your business. But essentially, the environmental factor of ESG kind of goes into general framework of 10b-5, which is if it's material, disclose it and apply to it the, you know, a standard of making sure that you are disclosing accurately and can back up whatever it is that you are saying. 
So the environmental element can cover a lot of different topics, but what I think people are most interested in these days is climate that falls under that rubric. And the SEC has put out guidance on climate that is, in effect, even before the new proposals. In particular, starting in 2010, there was guidance that they put out regarding including climate risks if they're material to your business, along with, again, any other risk that would be material. And then more recently, in September of 2021, there was a letter that the ICC put out that essentially was sort of a form letter or exemplar letter that they might send to a hypothetical public company that had climate-related disclosures in their 10K or proxy that didn't necessarily comply with what they thought would be the best practices as far as how that disclosure should be made. And this was interesting because around that time last year was when we were expecting to see full-fledged guidance and a proposal for new rules. And instead, it was this letter suggesting that they were going to be delaying the proposed rules on climate, which is, in fact, what happened. So, Dave, I think maybe it's a good time for you to start chatting a little bit about where we are now with those proposed rules. Great. Thanks, Fredo. Yeah, as you mentioned, it really has been something driven by disclosure practices that companies have followed in response to institutional investors and expectations that the SEC has articulated in staff guidance and in commission guidance. And all of that occurred over the last decade or so and has resulted in companies providing a lot of additional disclosure regarding matters related to climate change but not necessarily in their periodic reports, their Form 10-Ks and Form 10-Qs. Often, if disclosure is included in SEC filings at all, it's in proxy statements, but the bulk of the disclosure is in investor communications outside of SEC reports. And so there's always been this concern or call for inclusion of climate-related information in companies' filings that they're obligated to make with the SEC, because that would bring it within the controls environment that applies to those sorts of disclosures, and it would bring it to the forefront from an investor's perspective, because that would be really an acknowledgement that that information is material to investors. So the debate has been ongoing for quite some time, but just this year in March, the commission voted three to one to approve proposed amendments to the commission's rules, and they would require really an extensive array of quantitative and qualitative disclosures about climate change in annual reports, as well as in registration statements that get filed. And I don't think I could really understate the significance of these proposals in the sense that this is probably the most comprehensive disclosure changes that I have seen proposed in my career as a securities lawyer. And they're really wide ranging and they would require that companies add new sections to their SEC filings and The details that they would provide in those sections are unlike any types of disclosures people are making today, by and large, in their annual reports about climate change. And I think if you ultimately try to envision what this disclosure would look like, it has several parts that I'll go through. But basically, I envision several additional pages really dedicated to the topic of climate change in a company's annual report on Form 10K. And that would be both quantitative information about emissions related to climate change, as well as very complex 
comprehensive disclosure about the company's oversight and evaluation of risks arising from climate change factors. And then there would be additional external involvement in the disclosure in that certain companies would have to provide attestations of the emissions-related disclosure that the SEC would mandate. And then there would even be changes to the company's financial statements, which would then subject that disclosure to the procedures that auditors would apply, and it would expand the application of materiality into the company's financial statements and require additional footnote disclosure regarding an array of climate change-related matters. So in terms of the basis for how the commission proceeded here, one of the big open questions in what would be proposed is, would the SEC sort of go it alone and come up with their own sort of prescriptive rules around what needs to be disclosed, or would they look outside to some sort of established standard setter? And really, I think it was a hybrid of that approach is what the commission did in this current proposal in the sense that they didn't sort of adopt wholesale external standard setters to serve as the basis upon which disclosures are made in SEC filings, but they certainly borrowed from and found persuasive to their disclosure proposals to existing standards, and that would be the TCFD's recommendations for disclosure, which many companies follow in varying ways, as well as the GHG or greenhouse gas protocol in terms of disclosure around specific greenhouse gas emissions. And to put a little bit of a finer point on what I just described as the overall approach in the rules, sort of a centerpiece of all this, I think, is expanding the rule requirements to require disclosure of greenhouse gas emission data. And that would include data regarding scope one emissions, which are those emissions that are the direct things that are related to a company's business, indirect greenhouse gas emissions, which are often referred to as scope two emissions. And then in certain cases, the indirect emissions from upstream and downstream activities, the scope three emissions. In that case, a company would only have to disclose those if they are material or if the company has set a goal or a target that includes scope three emissions as part of its approach. And this is probably one of the most significant pieces of the proposals in the sense that companies today sometimes provide this information, but it isn't within the framework of SEC filings and disclosure controls and procedures and the like. And so a lot of additional work would be necessary really to get to the level of certainty that companies would want to have when making these disclosures in their public filings. In addition, the SEC would expect that over time, subject to a transition period, the largest companies would have attestations of this disclosure, and those attestations would be provided by third-party service providers that have some expertise in this area. And so additional disclosure around that attestation would be required as well. The SEC also looks at the topic of requiring more comprehensive disclosure around goals and targets that companies are set. Because as we've seen in the last several years, companies have been feeling compelled to 
express their approach to climate change in light of international standards and international expectations. And that often includes setting a goal or target with regard to, for instance, greenhouse gas emissions. And so that is something that now the SEC would like more rigor around in the sense that you would have to disclose those goals and targets and sort of how the company expects to get there and what it measures in terms of keeping track of its progress. A third quantitative and qualitative component to this would be, as I mentioned, to require additional disclosure in the financial statement footnotes regarding the impact of climate-related events and transition activities on line items that are presented in the consolidated financial statements, as well as related expenditures. So that will indeed require additional footnote disclosure, and it will require auditors to spend time looking at how the company has determined what appropriate disclosure is required. And then the third component of the rules that I wanted to mention is really a much deeper dive uh, than we see today in many cases around the level of oversight and rigor around risk management that companies are employing on climate-related topics. And so this will require much more disclosure, and it's very prescriptive in a way about what the board does, what management does with respect to the oversight of climate-related risks, and what sort of analytical framework exists within the company to evaluate both risks and opportunities arising from climate change, as well as the risk management approach. And here the company would have to provide additional disclosures if these rules were adopted about evaluating regulatory requirements and climate-related risks and transition activities and things that would be important and would affect their disclosure going forward regarding climate change. So to sum up, you know, I think the breadth and complexities of these rules, as I said, is evident, and there will be comments submitted both for and against, and that is something that can certainly be expected on something as controversial as this topic. There is already talk of potential litigation that could challenge the validity of the SEC's rulemaking in this regard that would have the potential to further delay the effectiveness of the rules. But I think it's still a really important topic for companies and their boards of directors to consider today and to carefully think about how they would approach a number of these issues, even though the rules haven't yet been adopted. Because I think even if you wait until the rules are finally adopted and see how they come out, you still may not have enough time and runway to get all the things done necessary for disclosure, even if the SEC were to provide the generous transition periods that it has contemplated in the proposed rules. So for that reason, I think it is a good idea to really take stock of what the company is disclosing today regarding these matters. Matters, to look at the process that's involved in developing those disclosures and the control environment in which those disclosures are developed and sort of map that process and that information to what the requirements might look like if these rules were adopted as proposed. And I think that's a really good start to moving towards compliance if the rules are ultimately adopted. Dave, agree with everything you just said. And the one thing that I would add for public companies is some of the rules, as Dave was mentioning, are really triggered based off of the goals that you yourself set and that you put out in the public space, whether in your 10K 
or any you know impact report you put out there or a sustainability report or on your website. And so one key thing to think about is in this interim period until the rules become effective, just in addition to putting together and thinking about the processes that you'll put in place to comply with the rules, really do think about what goals you're putting out there right now, because you may be tied to them in the future in ways that you really may not want to be later on when these rules become effective. That's a great point. Thanks, Fredo, for joining me today. And we hope that this information about ESG disclosure has been helpful. Please make sure to subscribe to the MoFo Perspectives podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like more information on this topic, please visit mofo.com slash podcasts. Again, that's mofo, M-O-F-O dot com slash podcasts.